Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We also want to let you know that you can now join our patron program. It starts from £5 a month to £10 or £20, depending on uh, what you want. Each tier allows you slightly different levels of access. Uh, depending on which one you choose, you can enjoy early access to podcast episodes, exclusive member benefits, merchandise, shout outs and your chance to feature on one of our shows any support you can give us is massively appreciated and will help us grow and continue to bring cool content to race fans all over the world Uh, you can find the link on our socials just search for motormouth or go to patreon.com don't forget to like and subscribe and you can also leave us a review download the motormouth app where you can get live race times exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy ladies and gents welcome to episode 20 of the motormouth podcast alongside me as always is the man with the biggest feet in motorsport harry benjamin how you doing pal uh me and my feet are doing very well thank you isolation is not getting me down uh i'm doing my joe wicks every other day well done Um, you still going (laughs) and uh and trying to stay sane well done i'm uh i'm running I went for a run. Oh, get you. Went for a run last night. My knees are hurting a lot today. My hips are aching. My back hurts. So, so that was. So it won't be another week before you do another run. Then. That was it. That's that's the running done. I think it's back to uh, <laughs> sitting on the sofa for eight hours a day. Um, right. Should we get on with the show and introduce today's guest? Absolutely. Um, so last week we had the pleasure of um, Sebastian Buemi from uh, Nissan Edams. This week we have his teammate Oliver Rowland. Um, Oliver debuted in Formula E in season five and claimed the rookie of the year honor um he started his motorsport ascent in carts at seven years old before eventually finding himself in formula renault it was around this time he received welcome funding from the racing steps foundation which supported his progress into the sport in 2013 he moved into formula renault 3.5 where he took seven podiums and then the championship title in 2015 with fortec 
The same year, he made his debut with Mahindra in Formula E, jumping in for former F1 driver Nick Heidfeld for one round. GP2 followed and then a call-up to F1 as development driver for the Renault Formula 1 team. In 2018, he became an official Williams Young Racing driver and a full-time Formula E racer for Season 5. We look forward to hearing his story in his own words and finding out more about Oliver Roden. Oliver, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yep, coping with the isolation reasonably well. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's nice to be on, on here. Are you managing to keep yourself busy? Yeah, well, it's, I'm trying. You know, I've been out and bought some new headphones for my PlayStation, been playing a bit of FIFA and F1, been going out for my uh, hours exercise every day, doing a bit of exercise inside, um, watching a are lot you, of crime programs and stuff like that. Are you one of best. these drivers that has a full, a full simulator setup that you're able to whack out, or are you uh, the old school controller kind of guy? No, I actually I'm playing with controller at the moment because I do I did have one when I was back up in Sheffield, but I can't fit it here. It's just uh, a play seat, um, yeah. so I didn't bring it down, so I can't really go and get it at the moment either. But I did hear oh. that Nis- <laughs> Nissan and Formula E might be helping as suppliers with one. Oh, nice. oh, that'll be handy. Yeah, get get the virtual season going. That's what we need. Yeah. Does does um, does that um do, playing on a uh, what do you call it a, a, a controller a, a controller? Thank you, Harry. Um, playing on a controller <laughs> do, does that uh, eliminate you from being able to compete in these these e racing series that are popping up all over the place? I would imagine so. Yeah. yeah, just because you have a bit less control, you make more mistakes. Maybe yeah. you could do one lap that would be somewhere close, but you couldn't do a full race. Oh, the, the days of, of my sim racing are so far behind me. I think the last time I had a console, I think, was a, a Master System. Uh, will you, uh, you may not even remember that, Harry. I haven't got a clue what that is. Are I don't you think serious? Does either. So, uh, <laughs> neither of you know what that is. A Sega, a Sega Master System or a Mega Drive? And, oh, I know. And, I've heard of a Mega heard Drive. Of a Sega, yeah. Yeah, yeah Sega. God. I've heard of a Sega Mega Drive. Showing the oldest my age. console I have is a, a Nintendo Entertainment System. Oh yeah, NES. Yeah, a NES. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's the oldest one I have. Oh god, I go way back. It's an Amstrad, CPC, four six four, all that sort of stuff with with the tapes. Yeah. Do you know what a tape is? No. Millennials. No. Let's let's uh, let's move on to Ollie before we find out more about how old you are, Tim. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ollie. So what we like to do on this podcast is basically go through uh, your your life and career so far. Um, it's a bit like Piers Morgan's life stories, but without the Piers Morgan. So let's take it back to to the beginning. When did that racing bug first? first bite you what was the thing in your what did you see that made you go yes racing is what I want to do um it's probably quite difficult to track back but when I was younger I used to watch a lot of biking my dad was really into motorbikes um so I used to watch the Aleman CT on on record basically and just keep watching and watching and watching um and initially it started that I wanted to be a motorbike rider I was really interested in cars or or anything like that um then my dad got me a quad and then from literally the age of I was two and a half when I got a quad used to like follow me around wow. with one of those kill switch things and then yeah. from then on uh, when I was four I then was too big for the well not too big but I'd kind of mastered the quad and I wanted a motorbike but my <sighs> mum in the end said no and I ended up with a go-kart and then from then on that's where it started. Is, is motorbikes still a thing for you? Are you? Do you still have an interest there? Yeah unfortunately I don't have one and I don't have my license for one either so uh, it's just something I've always been put away from by all sponsors and management and people like that. <laughs> it's quite dangerous to ride bikes on the road. But uh, but now I follow MotoGP massively. You know, I watch every race, Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP, so I'm, I'm a big fan. So was was there motorsport in your blood then? You say your dad was keen to get, get you out and sort of driving anything. Is there any other motorsport blood in your family? A little bit. My granddad, my granddad was a rally driver, so he did the Monte Carlo rally and God knows when. A long, wow. long, long time ago. And then my dad and uncle 
both dabbled in a bit of go-karts and a bit of bikes and yeah, my dad was more into bikes and my uncle more into the karting side. So, so yeah, that's pretty much where it comes from. And where did the, uh, presumably you started off in karts like like um, many of the other uh, drivers that we talked to. Um, where did the transition come um, from karts into cars? And, and at that stage, were you already thinking, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Yeah, I think from the age of eight, I was already thinking, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Uh, it's quite funny because... Um, I have a go-kart team now that's for like eight to 12 year, year old kids that we compete in all the British championships. And uh, I think when you're a kid, you're way more set because you, you know, you don't have the, the disappointment, this and that, you know, I was convinced that I was going to be a racing driver. Um, and if anybody told me differently, I would never agree with them. So I think <laughs> from the age of eight, I already knew that that was what I wanted to do. And, and then all throughout the years from eight, I think I moved to cars at 17. Um, I always knew that's exactly what I wanted to do, and then, and then, yeah, the the, choice, the chance came in 2010 with the Racing Steps Foundation to, to yes. move into Formula Renault. When when you were at school, when you had those careers chats, and you said you wanted to be a racing driver, did did the teachers look at you like you'd gone mad? Yeah, and most of the other kids, you know, it's it's quite a, a different sport. Not many people know that much about it, especially when I was younger. I mean, with Lewis doing what he's doing now, I think it's a it's a lot more known. Um, but the kids actually sometimes used to get a bit jealous and used to get yeah. a bit of stick for it when you're at school. So I think that was uh, the more hard thing. You know, they were all playing football with each other on weekends and I was away racing. So, uh, so yeah, that's pretty much the most I got out of school from it. Yeah, we 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 were oh talking. We, we we were um, discussing the, the, offline that the sacrifices that you have to make as a young driver. Um, you mentioned school there. Did, did you? Did, how did you deal with being at school, but not being able to necessarily do the other things that the kids do at weekends? You might be away traveling, going to a race somewhere, making sacrifices financially, I guess, as well for for your family and so on. How how did you deal with that whole situation growing up? Well, I mean, I was pretty lucky in terms of the financial side because McLaren picked me up when I was 12. Um, so I was still too... My, my parents struggled a lot to even fund it till 12. I was very young, so I didn't really notice as much. You know, I didn't notice really what was going on and I didn't understand. As far as the commitment goes, instead of playing football at weekends, I really didn't care because I was doing what I loved. So, you know, I didn't mind that I was missing stuff like that. And of course, sometimes, you know, when you get when you get a bit of stick at school, you you know, it doesn't feel that nice when you're younger. But as I grew up, I just learned to ignore it. I saw a story about uh, you not having uh, any carpet down in your house because uh, your parents were sort of sacrificing all that money to go into your racing career. So what what, what sort of age were you around then and you started to sort of notice? Around 12. So it was was as McLaren picked me up, we were literally, I think we'd run up all the credit cards and, and had no carpet. And, and I think, you know, only recently, you know, I've helped my mum with some stuff, but um, she only just managed to sort of pay off some of the stuff even from, from sort of 10, 15 years ago. So, uh, so yeah, it was a pretty hard time for them. And, and then obviously I lost my dad a little bit later on. So, you know, my mum was kind of left to fend for it all a little bit herself. Um, so it was a pretty tough time, but uh, I suppose we got here and we got through it. So. It's amazing, isn't it? The, the the sacrifices that family members make for their for their children. We were talking about this with Seb, um, and you know the, the sacrifices that that his father um, had to had to go through to get him racing, and and Brendan Hartley, who we had on the show before that, being sent off at sixteen years old from New Zealand to come to uh, to come to Europe. It's 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 amazing what you think your parents have done for you when you get a bit older and you realise the the sacrifices they make. Because I suppose when you're ten, twelve years old, you you just think that's just just go racing it doesn't cost any money this is all a breeze you know it's it's all just part of your 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 daily life 
Yeah, and I think they live it with you, you know, that I think, you know, they enjoy it and love it as a passion as much as you do. And I think in order to go as far as and as deep as what we went into it, you have to, you know, you, it can't just be a, you know, a kid's passion. It has to be a whole family commitment. And I think, you know, that's why you see a lot of the guys that, that make it, they have to have huge support from their family, which is really mm. important. What, what, was, what was the point where you thought, I'm actually really good at this and, and let's pursue it? I don't know. I, I think... It's quite, I don't know, arrogant to say, but even from a, I always believed that I was good enough from, from a very early age. Like I, from eight or nine, I could win already against 12-year-olds. And I think that's, that comes with confidence and, and that helps you, you, you know, you compete at a top level when you really believe in yourself. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, energy in your head. If, if you really believe that you're good enough, then, you know, you're able to produce the results. And I think from, from the start, um, I believed, um, and, and yeah, that's pretty much... The, the mindset I always I've always had of course and at points in your career if you're in a tough car and you're having a tough time you know it can become difficult and you start to wonder you know am I am I good enough now the level's getting harder um but you know certain points in your career you know if you work hard enough then you reassure yourself of those talk us through that um McLaren lifeline when that came about was that you know was it reminiscent of the what you know Lewis Hamilton was obviously famously picked up by McLaren who was about in those days because obviously you're coming at it a bit later down the line was Ron Dennis a big player in that or talk us through your time with them yeah so it's actually quite a good story I think me and Lewis had probably exactly the same same agreement and we were the only two ever to have it Um, and it's funny I got home from school one day and my dad was going nuts he said you'll never guess who's called and I said I I don't know and he picked up the house phone you know he used to like you you could play it back and so he called the voicemail and, and Ron Dennis was on the phone and he said, this is Ron Dennis, you know, I'd, I'd appreciate it if you gave me a call back regarding Oliver. And you can just imagine as a as a 12-year-old and as a family that we're struggling to do everything, it was like the most amazing call. Yeah. So then, yeah, my my dad called him back and then he invited us down and, and, and that was it. He, we literally did the, the deal on the day. That was it. As soon as wow. I got there, I was in and it was signed and it was done. Uh, and what so, does what does that deal mean? So what what do they give you when you sign that bit of paper? Is it, is it the, the financial support, the engineering support, all of that? What elements do they give you that really pushes things forward? Like, like you said, you know, everything's covered financially from then on. You know that you'll go to in the each step will be the right step. And I, and I suppose it's... You, you know, I don't really know how much I can particularly say, but it goes all the way into Formula One. When you sign a deal at that age, you know, it had, you know, two, three years of Formula One inside it. So, you know, it's uh, quite a special thing to wow. to sign and, and to and to be part of. Um, and yeah. And, and that allowed you, I suppose, well, it helped with your junior career because you've had a pretty impressive junior career. Looking back on it, what are the sort of highlights that you can pick out? Like that, that first win or, or you know, you're, you had a pretty stellar um, GP2 campaign as well. What, what, what sort of sticks out? <clears throat> I think um, winning World Series was probably one of the big ones. Um, mm. You know, at the time, World Series and GP2 were very similar. If anything, World Series maybe had the slight edge in terms of driver and you know, what people respected the most. Um, and then the second one has to be Monaco in F2 when I won that. Um, there's nothing, you know, you play Monaco in the games for so many years and you, know, it's, it, you arrive there and it's just the most amazing place. It's everything you ever dreamed of. And even when you yeah. drive past the boats, you can't really believe you're there. And then to take it to the next level, to win there is, is again on another level. You know, even to win in F2, you know, it's everybody knows 
and, and when you go in the evening to whatever party you go to, it's it's a it's a pretty cool experience. And uh, and yeah, I don't think anything has topped that quite just yet. With with Monaco, um, I know you're a racing driver, and you're you're by nature probably a bit fearless. But when you're driving around those those um, street circuits with the barrier right there and you're flying through past the boats and are you there must be an element of complete and utter fear or, or does that just not come into it? It's funny when you first go to a street circuit the, the first three laps you just think how is this possible like you, everything feels alien you feel like you're going to crash into every wall and you're five seconds off the lap time you're going to be doing in half an hour's time you know, so at first you, you know, you like, and, and you have it a lot in Formula E now. I experience it every race. Yeah. And you go out and you, and you think, wow, you know, everything's happening so fast. The walls are so close. You know, if I make a mistake here, it's done. And then as you get into a rhythm, it's amazing what confidence does. You know, you build up some confidence and you build up a feeling. And before you know it, you're driving without even thinking and you like, you're brushing walls. I mean, quite often we touch walls and it's and it's quite the norm now. But, you know, when you do it for the first time in Monaco, it's a bit of a wake-up call. I remember in the race, I hit the inside wall through the casino. I mean, inside walls are always quite nice, or the best ones to hit because yeah. they just push you out a little bit. Mm. It's when you hit the outside ones, it's more of an issue. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's special and it's different, you know. Um, I think the, the, the people with the most ability always tend to go well on the, on the street circuits. We can't even do Monaco on the game. It's a nightmare, always <laughs> crashing, even on a controller. Me neither. <laughs> when, you, when you have that impact, though, for the first time at somewhere like Monaco, where you do hit a wall harder than you, you wanted to, how, long, how easy is it just to reset and just go again? It depends. For me, it happened in the race. So it was a wake-up call. You know, at some point, you, you know, the concentration levels are so high there that you, you're focusing, focusing, focusing. And then at some point, you know, you're just doing it without thinking. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, and, and it just like wakes you up like, and you almost have to slap yourself in the face to say, don't let that happen again, because it's literally like fine margins. Mm. And, uh, and it happens, you know, it's happened in Formula E quite a bit where you, you hit the wall and but the cars are quite strong, so you can bounce off all of yeah, a little bit. And, yeah. in that, and that's part of taking the risk. You know, you, you can touch a bit and you can play with the limit and uh and I think that's the difference in Formula E between the drivers. You know, some of them are taking a lot of risk and some of them not. And you see with even people like Degrassi or even Seb to some expect they're a lot more consistent because they don't take quite the risk as some of the new young guys. And that's something that I'm going through at the moment where at first I was so fast but taking a lot of risks. Yeah. And, you know, 50% of the time it pays off, 50% it doesn't. And now I'm sort of trying to find that middle ground where I can be consistent. Yeah, yeah. And taking it back a bit, your your breakthrough um, is it? Would it be right to assume that um, your your championship win in Renault three point five, which I think was two thousand and fifteen, um, eight or so wins and thirteen podiums? Do you do you see that as the year that put you on the map um, that that really um, turned the tide and, and projected you forward? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was always, I think, you know, I finished third in EuroCup against Van Dorn and Kvyat, and then I finished second, me and Gasly fought for the title. So I think I was always there to be seen as someone that was, you know, capable and at a very high level. But, you know, at some point you have to win championships, and, and I think that put me on the on the radar. Unfortunately, the way things played out after that within the next three months of winning that championship was a little bit out of my grasp, and I got a little bit screwed over, to be honest. Um, and that didn't really allow me to really bounce on to the next step in Jupiter. Um, let's let's talk about that that bouncing sort of f- forwards in your career. You you F one is was that always a 
a dream of yours because although there was never the racing seat, you've had you've had glances with it, of course, being the development driver for Renault and working with Williams as well. Talk us through the, the F1 situation. Yeah, you know, from the beginning, it's always the dream. You know, I think, as I said before, when I was eight, but it's funny as you go more and more up the motorsport ladder, you realise how polluted it is a little bit. And the closer you get, and, the, you know, the closer you get and the more chance you have, the more you realise that, that, that it might not actually happen. Because, yeah. you know, especially in, in modern days, like it's very hard with money and teams struggling and all that sort of stuff. So I think it was always the target. But, I, I mean, even when I was in F2, I started to understand that, you know, even I was fighting with Leclerc for wins, but I didn't have that team there like he had a little bit with Ferrari, which were going to pick me and take me. Yeah. You know, I, it, it was very hard. I was with Renault at the time, but, you know, they, they were in a diff, difficult period where, they, you know, they were looking for performance, you know, because they were obviously spending a lot of money, but they couldn't afford to risk putting the young guy in that had talent but wasn't proven. So, you know, they had to take two guys with experience. So that was a, it's a bit the way things fall. Um, and it's just one of those things, you know, 20 guys get there from however many triumphs. So, yeah, it's just one of those things. Mm. Um, and it was something that we asked uh, Seb as well. The first time you you turned an F1 wheel and sat in that cockpit and, and put your foot on the gas and off you went, how did that feel? That must have been a, a pretty incredible moment. Yeah, there's nothing like it really. Um, I did a few demo runs before my first proper test, but it's not really the same. Um, when I did the Barcelona test, it was actually for Williams in 2018. You know, when I came out of the pits and put my foot down, I was like, yes. But even the whole, you know, it was it was after the race, so the garage was as it was. All the people, you know, you're getting in, you're getting strapped in, you've got two people on the front tyres, you know, all the blankets on. It's exactly like, you know, when you go on the PlayStation and you're in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only time, I mean, even F2, it's not the same, like, because you don't have, a mecha- like, two mechanics on each wheel and a guy pointing you at the garage and it's just a bit surreal, like you've watched it for so long and, and then that's actually you. And then in terms of the performance of the cars, it's just even though I was in a Williams, it's not the best performing car, but they're still incredible cars to drive. But mm. did it did it feel like a, a massive jump? Because I, I know I remember here we go, Harry. You ready for my weekly uh, dropper a driver name that I used to manage? Oh, go on then. So um, when I used to manage Max Chilton back in the day, um, he he was in a, a Marussia and uh, or Manor as it, as it later became, and and obviously not a great car. He was often running at the back of the grid um, through no fault of his own. Um, but some of the GP2 cars, the front runners, were not far off his pace in his Marussia just because his his car was so so crap. In all honesty, but did did you when you moved up from you know. Um, Formula Renault 3.5, GP2, F2, and then hopped in an F1 car. Were you like, whoa, there's there's a marked difference here. I can really feel that I'm in a Formula 1 car. Or was it more of a sort of incremental um, increase? Yeah, it was massive. I think since what you were talking about, the regulations have changed so much. The cars are like, I don't know, probably 10 seconds faster than what they were then. Yeah. So it's a huge mm. difference now. And, I, and, and to be honest, there's only going to be a small group of people that, you know, I think once the regulations change in 2022... They're going to go back to having or a lot of again. Yeah, depending on when they do it. But anyway, the, the, I think the, the cars are going to go back to having a lot less performance. And the way they are in this era, they're just insane. Like, I, I, I do the sim stuff now for, for an F1 team. And it's just like, even I hadn't driven anything but a Formula E car in 18 months. And I drove it for the first time about two months ago. And I just couldn't believe, you know, again, how fast they were in the downforce and everything. It's just mad. So the F1 journey is sort of there. You're, you're, you're on the fringes of it. But 
then Formula E pops up on the radar. You've already had a one-off outing with uh, Mahindra when you uh, uh, covered for Nick Heidfeld. Um, talk us through that first experience. Did you then get sort of bug for it? Did you get the hype around Formula E when you first got it? And did you know what was to come? Yeah, I, I mean, I always liked it. I mean, the cars aren't particularly, weren't particularly fast. Mm. Um, they were a bit slow. But actually, to watch the races on the TV, I, even from season one, I thought it was quite interesting. Like, there was a bit of stuff happening. It was a bit like a kart race sometimes. And, and I thought it was quite fun. And then, obviously, it started to get a little bit bigger. And then I got my chance in Punta del Este. And I loved it. All the drivers, you know, at the time were actually quite well known. There's a lot of XF1 drivers. So, again, it was another step towards that reality of racing against people you've been watching on the TV. Mm. Um, and I loved it. Everybody made me feel so welcome when I first went there. I went in the driver's briefing and everybody was so friendly and all that sort of stuff. And, and I actually really enjoyed it. The place, obviously, Punta del Este is on the beach, the sea, the garages are on the yeah. beach. You know, it's just, I absolutely loved it. And I really wanted to go back. And actually, at the time, I had a chance to go back for season three. Um, but in the end, through the racing steps and Renault, they decided to that we'd pursue GP2. So, yes, yeah. I was quite keen to do it. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. But then I suppose that's that comes with the caveat of having that support. I suppose you have to, you know, it's 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 got a, a you know two sides to it. Yeah, but I was realistic. I saw the mm. situation in Formula One, and I saw the chances. And even if I won, you know, that you still no guarantee. You know, the yeah. last four or five winners of GP2 didn't get to Formula One. So, is it better to take my professional career in this? than it is in, in Formula 1 and they decided mm. not so no. they, were the, they were paying the bills <laughs> <laughs> and then of course you do get your big Formula E chance a couple of years later with Nissan who you're now racing with and that, that was that started off a bit I'm not ropey is not the right word but of course you weren't you weren't the confirmed driver initially were you it was it was of course Alex Albon and then talk us through that that journey was it all of a sudden a bit of a surprise for you or funny story to be honest I was as I said earlier, I have a, a car team. We were away racing, and I was sat in the the local pub having some dinner. I think I had a beer, <laughs> and I wasn't doing any racing at the time, so I was a bit like, you know, I was relaxing. Yeah. And uh, I'd seen on Twitter something was going on a little bit between Albon and Toro, so you know there was a bit of, of rumours. And uh, I think I'd just seen it that evening, and uh, then my phone rang with Francois Sicard from from Nissan. And we'd obviously discussed a little bit before. It was a bit between me and Albin in the summer. Um, but obviously he got it, and that's fair enough, because I'd raced for Dams in F2, so I had a good relationship with them. Um, and he said, uh, what are you doing? And I was a bit like, well, I'm just at home. You know, I didn't really tell him the truth. That I was actually <laughs> just at the pub. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he said, uh, well, I need you to be ready to fly out to Valencia tomorrow oh. because uh, – Keep it completely secret, but there's a chance that Alex might not be able to drive because I don't know if you've read. And I said, yeah, I did see it. So I said, yeah, I'll be ready. So I literally drove home from where I was, packed a bag and sat there waiting for my phone to ring. And in the morning it rang and they said, yeah, your flight's at two o'clock, come wow. out, but you can't tell anybody. Oh my God. So then I was on this flight to Valencia and then I landed. And as I landed on the plane in the in the airport, I came up Twitter, Oliver Roland arrives in Valencia. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, like, how on earth do people find that out so somehow someone found out yeah um and then yeah i, I got to the track and uh, again really weird nobody really knew what was going on um and in the end nobody drove the car for two days because there was all sorts of contractual things going on with alex mm. i didn't see alex because he was in valencia but didn't come to the track to avoid all the best yeah yeah and then yeah the last day they said and then it was yeah where well, you can do the test and, and then within a couple of hours, it was right 
you're going to do the test and you can do the first race. And then again, a couple of hours later, it was like, you'll be in for the season. Wow. And it was so within the space of probably 48 hours. My, I went from being in a pub running my go-kart team to, to yeah. Did did you, uh, did you manage to finish your pint? No, I didn't. I oh. shot straight out the door. <laughs> Outrageous. Outrageous. God, what a whirlwind. That's amazing. And it, you touched on there with, you know, getting on the plane, touching down out there, and someone's already tweeting about it. How do you cope with that side of things? You know, as your profile grows, you become more recognisable. People in the sport know who you are. Do you cope well with that side of, of, of the sport? And, and as things progress with Formula E and, and your seat there, do you think you'll, you'll be comfortable in the limelight? Yeah, you know, to be honest, it's not too bad for me. I mean, at the races, it, it can get a little bit frustrating sometimes when you're trying to focus and there's a lot of attention. But when I'm at home, I'm pretty much left to myself. You know, I don't get too much too much trouble. So I'm, I'm in quite a nice place at the moment because it's not something that intrudes my life. And, and then I'm very fortunate to have a life like I've got. So I'd actually quite like to keep it like this. Mm. And r- racing in, in with with such a uh, you know established team, of course they were Renault in in Formula E and then became Nissan, and having that sort of factory works team about it. How how was that journey been with you? And also, it looks like you have a great relationship with Seb as well. Yeah, it was good. You know, I was lucky because I knew a lot of them from F two, so mm. I, I already knew a bit the team. Um, Seb, I didn't know. Um, I, I think I saw somewhere you were a little bit worried. You thought he might be a little bit moody. <laughs> yeah, he comes across sometimes from the outside. Yeah. Like, like, I don't really know what the best word to describe it is. But, it's know, his concentration got, face. <laughs> yeah, and also, you know, he's, he's Swiss, isn't he? So he's very straight. And, you know, and, and the first day I remember going into the garage and I didn't feel particularly welcome, I'm not going to lie. Like, oh, know, really? He was, he was looking as if to think, oh, who's this guy? He's just coming from and uh, but then very quickly, once once it was decided that I was going to do the season, um, he's he, his his mentality switched a little bit, and he, he knew that he had to help me because he can't be on his own to develop a team and a car. And I mm. think that's a little bit why they made the change to Alex. You know, he needs to be pushed, and he understood that he needed a a kick as well to perform at the top level because the level was getting higher and higher and higher throughout the season. So he was like unbelievable in the first three four months if i did a bad quality session he'd come tell me put his arm around me say you know you just need to understand it's going to come i'm telling you he was always saying you're fast and talented i know this already so just stay calm because it's going to come and you know at some wow, point that must be so wow. nice to have that yeah and still to this day he says the same he says you know he says like you your ability is unbelievable but just manage your head almost he, he tries to coach me in a certain way sometimes um and yeah, obviously, when he was saying that, I was kind of thinking at the time, is he, is he playing a bit of games with me? Or yeah. not? It quickly became apparent that he wasn't. Um, and then even when I went through a really good spell last year, I was getting a lot of pole positions and he was struggling a little bit. You know, he still kept that. And, and I was in a really tricky point because do I try and help him or mm. does that come across a bit like I'm, mm. you know, bit too big for my boots yeah do you know what I mean? so it was quite hard for me to manage but he was he was amazing and we still have a very good relationship we've had one or two disagreements but that's it I suppose that comes about from you know the Formula E being the championship it is because it's such a, a different championship there's the racing aspect but also you've got to I suppose learn a, a lot right from the off you know with the battery management and efficiency and and all the other quirks that Formula E has I suppose Going into that, that must have taken a little bit of time to get your head around because I, I'm, assu- I'm assuming before that you hadn't really had to think about those things in your racing career. No, never. But 
I was lucky I could literally do as many days as I wanted on the simulator at Dams. Yeah. I was literally there for six weeks before the first race. So I was literally just going through everything and practicing everything. And, and I was actually quite well prepared for my first race. You know, I'd done about, I'd not done any laps in the dry before I arrived in Saudi. So I'd literally arrived at the yeah. first race after not doing any laps in the dry. Yeah. And then both three practices were cancelled. And then we went <laughs> straight out in quali in the wet. So, you know, it was a bit, you know, I was thrown in right at the deep end, but, uh, but yeah, it is tough, but you know, it's like anything you adapt and you get used to it. And and like mm. I said, I can't imagine two rookies in a team. That's the I see some teams doing that and I and I just think had there been two of me last year, mm. I wouldn't have even known where to start. So mm. Yeah, I think that I think that's partic- particularly um prevalent in terms of Formula E as a series, with it being so competitive, so close, such tight um, circuits um, and such complex um, things that you've got to do as a driver with your your power management, battery boosts, and so on. I, there's, a, there's an awful lot to take in, so I, I, I can totally see your point there. Um, how, how frustrating has it been for you this season? Obviously, you know, in your rookie season, you're developing, you're learning, you're learning off Seb, and you're you're coming on as a Formula E driver, and then for things to essentially grind to a halt here. Obviously, we we appreciate there are bigger things at play, and 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 we've got to um, look after uh, people first and foremost. But from a driving perspective, it must be frustrating for you not carrying that momentum on into uh, season six. Yeah, I mean, we're fortunate enough to have had quite a few races already in some respects. Um, but like you said, you know, the world and the problems are way more important than, than anything we're doing. Um, in terms of driving, you know, we have a bit to work on, to be honest. You know, we were very last minute with our powertrain update because of the FIA, you know, with the regulations. So we had a lot of areas that we needed to improve. And actually a little bit of a break isn't so much of a bad thing for us just to regroup, re-understand and then go again, really. So, so yeah, as as much as frustrating it is, you know, not to be out driving, I think, you know, hopefully we'll get the season finished and done um, and we can be in a slightly better place than we were when we left off, so. You know, I'm just waiting here and, and being ready to go when, when we get the green light. Great. Now, uh, listen, we've got uh, got something very important for you and um, there is an element of um, competitiveness here. Um, your teammate um, did rather well at this last week. Um, we have a quiz called Motormouths, which uh, my esteemed colleague will introduce for you and uh, and we're expecting great things, let's be honest, Harry. Yeah, Ollie, this is the Motormouths quiz. Um, it's notoriously the hardest quiz in motorsport because no one quite knows what the answers are um so seb uh is currently in sixth position with 11 points brendan hartley sits at the top with 12 and a half and corinne chandok is a lowly last place with three and a half points you can't do any worse than him quite frankly yeah he had a bit of a mess so i've got four clips for you we're gonna play for you um and they're all you or something to do with you and then a bonus question at the end uh each clip is worth three points if you can get all three answers so uh, let's play the first one and then i'll ask you some what questions do i need to, okay, are you gonna ask yeah me i'll ask you oh yeah so have a listen and then i'll ask you be very happy uh the team have done a really really great job and actually yes yeah, my it's my first real good race. that's all you get so what are you talking about where and when are the three things i want you to answer so i'm talking about monaco when i finished second what was the other question yeah, that is correct. Where? So Monaco, you got those two, and then when? What so it year? was in season five, Formula E, Monaco. Yeah. Perfect. Um, 
sort of, and then I was basically saying because I'd finished on the podium before, but I was slow. Yeah. And then in Monaco, I was saying <laughs> I did a good race for the first time because <laughs> so, I nearly beat Jeb. So I was pretty happy. Well, especially had to do it at Monaco. Exactly. It's uh, that is three points for the first clip. All right, let's move on to clip number two. You're much faster than him. Just focus on driving. You'll get him. Okay, keep cool, mate. Keep cool. Yeah, leave me alone. <laughs> so, uh, almost like your own Kimi Raikkonen moment there. So uh, what's happening, where and when? So this was um, Mexico, season six. And I was telling my engineer, because he was on the blur to me, and he said, yeah, you know, you're much faster than him. And then I made a mistake, and I was like, fucking me. <laughs> you can swear. <laughs> no, you're fine. fine. You're fine. I'll give you that. That's three points as well. Oh, this is looking good. Forced off the track, and then, uh, but I think it was a Venturi car actually. And then, uh, and then, yeah, your engineer comes on the blower. Okay, clip number three, please. Here we go. Uh, at the back of the garage, if you could bring me some power in. Ooh. So Berlin, Berlin season five. Yes. Who was? What's the Steve. name of the guy? Steve. Yes. <laughs> oh, Steve. I like the sound of Steve. What does Steve do? Apart from stand at the back of the manager. Oh, hello, Steve. Chief yeah. Powerade officer as well. Other <laughs> brands are, of course, available. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he came in quite late. So it was it was actually one of his first races that he came to. And, and asked because he kind of came in as, an, as like a middle ground between my management. So I wasn't sure if they knew who he was, but I knew that he would know to get me in power. So I was like the guy in the back of the garage, Steve. Yeah, you're doing pretty well so far, Ollie. This is your final clip. It's been a, been a while coming. I've, I've lost a couple the last couple of races. So, uh, yeah, it's a monkey off my back. Monkey off your back. Right. What are you talking about there? Need it one more time? Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, you know, happy. It's been a been a while coming. I've I've lost a couple the last couple of races, so uh, yeah, it's a monkey off my back. This is a high pressure scenario because this could make or break your score. This really could actually. I might get to play my new sound in a second, Harry. I'm gonna do it. Do we have an answer? Oh, uh, no. So it'll be quality. What's what's the question? You haven't asked me the question yet. So what are you talking about? I'm talking about qualifying. What's uh, a monkey off your back? In in what would be that? Either super pole or a podium. It's a podium. Did you just <laughs> did you just mouth that to? Uh, I did not mouth it. Can you? So okay. So say hang you on, got. Hang on, I might, I might know this. Okay. <laughs> Gonna have Sanya? to push you. Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Sanya, yes. Sanya. Season five. Yes. Sanya yeah. season five. But I'm only giving you half a point. For, oh, harsh. Uh, That's okay. Harsh. Yeah, but I sounded so. De- I, I, I was I was surprised. I sounded so depressed about it. We're not just an entertainment podcast, we're media training you at the same time. Look at this. <laughs> media training it. Okay, all right. Well, that I'm going to give you a half point for each of that. So uh, overall, you got one and a half out of three on that one. Okay, this is the bonus question, okay? So this could get you an extra point. And it's just a simple question. Which former Formula One driver quit racing to become a music DJ? Oh, yeah. That is correct. Okay, let's add up the scores. 
That's pretty strong. He's just he's done it for you, Harry. Right, okay. You're in there. I oh, know I'm just adding you to the table, just seeing you. But you're a little bit harsh table. with your half points. Yeah, I think that was a bit harsh. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. You took your sweet time on that one. That's uh, true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? It's a draw with you and Seb. Oh. We're both tied at sixth place with 11 points. So oh. that's not too shabby. Oh, that, that feels quite good. No one yet to topple Brendan Hartley with 12 and a half points. But hey, you're doing better than him in Formula E. So what, what really matters? And you've got uh, better and you've got better hair. Better hair. Better hair. Definitely. Uh, I need a haircut. You know, I tried to shave the sides the other day. Oh, you one of the, oh no. Have you seen the trend that people apparently are shaving all their hair, like their hair off? I, I might do that. Yeah. See that. And I thought about, I'd do it for charity if I set something up, to be honest. Oh, you probably get a decent amount of money for that as well. Months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So no one will really see you in person before it before but it. It's back. my girlfriend that will let me. Oh no! Nah. Oh, then fair enough. <laughs> will it go if you if you yeah, if you keep growing it out? Will it get to sort of afro levels? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. it's quite. It's, look, honest, it's very tall. Nissan have, yeah, Nissan yeah. have been asking me to. Uh, Someone's phone's to ringing. Do a load of, yeah, it's my door thing. They've been asking me to do a load of videos for like social media. I'm like, I really can't. My hair's all over. <laughs> <laughs> just shave it off. Oh dear. Well, thank you for playing Motor Mouth. We've got uh, just a couple more questions left before we uh, we let you go back to uh, back to your isolation. Um, so, out, outside of the racing world, what are your passions? Do you have any sort of hidden talents? Um. Not really. Um, I have my cartoon team that I'm very passionate about. That's very um, I cool. I do that a lot. Have you have you attached um, your name to that? Is that is it Ollie Road and yeah, Karting? Yeah, it's called or? Oliver Road Motorsport. Yeah. Right. Okay. You know, we have probably about fourteen drivers now. Wow. Um, we have a unit, big truck, awning, vans, everything. It's it's got quite big. I actually quite like playing darts at the moment. Um, I put a dartboard up in my living room. Are you any I good? Can... Darts? No, I'm crap. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've got plenty of time to learn. And then actually, I've been doing a bit of trading recently. So oh, yeah. A bit of like trading, FX trading, and stuff like that. Nice. Uh, is, that, that. is that real? Oh. I always thought that looked like a scam. No, it's real, yeah. Really? Oh, right. Okay. FX trading yeah. is it's good if you, you can always, do it. I always see those like Instagram things being like, I made like millions just by like from my living room or whatever. You can uh, also lose millions as well, quite easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the trick, and that's why we'll not go on it. Um, yeah. So, uh, apart from being a, a, an FX trader, what, what are your goals for the next few years? Um, I think ultimately you know, I want to be Formula E champion, so I think that has to be the, the long-term goal. Um, yeah. Whether this season we've quite got everything put together to challenge for it, um, we'll see. We've been pretty consistent. I think I've scored in five, four out of five races or five out of six, haven't even had. So uh, I think long term it just has to be to to become a Formula champion. That's yeah. great. And uh, the the extreme e um, which we've uh, we've seen the the car doing the rounds on social media. Is, is there any interest in that in the future? Yeah, you know it looks pretty cool. Um, I'm sure knowing everybody that's involved, it'd be a good crack as well. So uh, so yeah, why not? Um, I've spoken to some people a little bit about it anyway. But, I mean, of course, Formula E is priority, um, but who knows in the future. Do you have a, a favourite circuit that you've raced on, either informally or, or just throughout your, your racing career? I think there's a couple. Um, in terms of circuit racing, I'd probably go for Spa or Silverstone. Mm. And then I think in Formula E, Plastics. you would probably have to say Rome. 
as one of the best ones. What about oh, okay. um, what about your favourite piece of track? I only say that because you, you mentioned Spa. Obviously, you've got Eau Rouge, which is must be an incredible feeling going through that complex. What, what's your favourite complex? Uh, Maggots and Beckett's probably at Silverstone. Yeah, um, good choice. I think Eau Rouge is very good the first couple of times you go through it, but then it's a bit easy nowadays. It's quite easily flat. Um, whereas the maggots and beckets, if you want again the extra tenth, then you have to really you know, shove your balls out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, it's good as well that you're British uh, supporting the British circuits, etc. As well. Um, now we have a final uh, four questions that we sort of ask to every every. Have you made it? Is, it's four now, is it? We're I think four. Well, did you well, like my my new question? I, I did actually. Yeah, and yeah. I, I'm going to add a, a fifth. Oh well, right. Um, it's it's one we've asked other people before, but I'm always interested. And should I kick off with it? Because it's yeah, it's always an interesting question. And and it seems to me that a lot of racing drivers that we talk to tend to be very very good at racing and not very good at very much else. So I would like to know from you, what do you crap at? Everything. There we go. You see, <laughs> <laughs> point proved. Uh, I'm not really sure. Can you cook? I can actually. Yeah. Oh. Jacket potato, don't you know? Yeah. I've got. Oh shit! I forgot about that. Oh god, yeah. There's a jacket <laughs> potato in the oven. No, you're all right. It takes about an hour, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I don't really know. Uh, what am I bad at? I'm actually pretty bad at on the PlayStation when I play all my friends at FIFA because they spend a lot more time doing it than I do. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, question two. What? racing series if you know, no strings attached what racing series that you haven't already raced in would you go off and do if there was a cockpit open indycar oh yes oh. finally you're a fan of the indy 500 i am i like watching it mm. are you a bit nervy with ovals because there's a lot of drivers out there that love indycar yeah. but they'll say no to the ovals need to be a good salary yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i would you know i, I think i would if someone, yeah. if the opportunity came, I'm pretty sure I would, but I'm not gonna start chasing it. Mm. Has yeah. has uh, are you are you friends with Jack Harvey? Yeah, yeah, pretty good friend. Has he? Have you discussed it with him? Has he told you a little bit about what it's like? I actually haven't, to be honest. No, no. It's, it's, I, I might do that. It's, I love that that series. I think it's brilliant. Hugely underrated. I wish we they, we could see it more here. Uh, not necessarily. I like the circ- I like the circuits. You know, when you watch yeah. the onboards and the cars, you know, they look like a real handful. And yeah. I think I think it, the, the people with good ability again will excel a bit like in Formula E, where it's not something like Formula One, where it's pretty much based on what car you're in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Exactly. Um, if you weren't a racing driver, what would you be doing? Nothing. He's not. He can't do anything a else. A lot of people ask me this, and I have no idea. Be a I, trader. Sure, <laughs> I, I, recently, maybe a trader, but then I think probably something in motorsport because it was always something that I was passionate about. Yeah, I can work for hours and hours on my my small karting team because I just love it. I think yeah. in order to in order to do something as a as a career, then you have to you know enjoy it and love it. Mm. Can you can you tinker? Like, could you fix an engine? Are you engineering minded? Yeah, I spend yeah. days on the dyno making them all perfect so you know, I, I rebuild all the carburetors set them all on the diner i spend days there on my own so i'm really into that and i like to find the next small little tweak or the next edge and i do all the engines i have someone that tunes the engines and then i sort of maintain them so yeah excellent and what are you scared of heights mm. oh. for any reason or just don't like them just hate them I mean, I, I actually quite like to put myself in that position 
to strain myself to be able to do something like I did a bungee jump. I would probably do a skydive, but should I get the opportunity? I don't know how, to be honest, anyone can enjoy heights because, you know, who wants to be up that high anyway? Like, how can someone physically be like, yeah, I love doing them? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure it's about enjoying them, but they literally terrify me when I'm, yeah. when I'm high. Like, I'm nervous and I go stiff. Like, I don't know if you've been to those go eight places, but I'm oh, God, like, no, I'm I've, the guy yeah. that's just hanging on <laughs> and my hands are completely destroyed. <laughs> Sweating. Oh god. Yeah. Well with your your teammate Seb, funnily enough, is uh, he's scared of sharks. <laughs> so weird. Um so <laughs> Well I suppose so, it's not weird. Sharks are pretty one. scary. No, but it's just funny. you know, heights is a I suppose more common one because you're more likely to be in that scenario, but sharks is uh, was a, a unique one I thought. Everyone's yeah. scared, but you're never never really in that scenario. Um, but that just about brings us to the end, Ollie. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Ollie. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, really good to hear from you. Let's hope we get some racing in this year and uh, we'll be tracking your progress and um, and hopefully we will speak again and see you in a paddock very soon. Ladies and gents, the brilliant Oliver Rowland. Thank you, guys. Stay safe. Thank you so much for listening and giving up your time for us. We'll be back with another episode soon. If you've missed any of the previous episodes, you can take a hop back in your chosen podcast player and find them all there. And don't forget, there's also loads more content on MMTV and the Motormouth app available to download on any device now. Uh, And to continue uh, to allow us to help create lots of cool content and to keep making these podcasts we want to let you know about our new patron program and how you can join it just starts from five pounds a month to 10 or 20 each tier allows you slightly different levels of access depending on which one you choose you can enjoy early access to podcast episodes exclusive member benefits merchandise shout outs and your chance to feature on one of our shows any support you can give us is massively appreciated and will help us grow and continue to bring cool content to race fans all over the world just search for us on patreon.com or you can find out all the details across our socials on twitter it's at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and on facebook just search motormouth like subscribe and review if you feel so inclined as well it really helps people to find the podcast but in the meantime from myself and tim we'll catch you next time deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.